shout amen. 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 Proverbs 16 is where I want to start today, which we've, uh, we looked at last week as well. Proverbs 16. You know, I, as I've already mentioned today, it's Palm Sunday, so next Sunday is Easter, where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And uh, yeah, y'all can give God a shout for that one. Amen. I'm excited. And we'll do a lot of fun stuff next week. We'll have Easter egg hunt. Thousands of Easter eggs will be out on this field behind those buildings. Um, We'll have who knows how many kids. I'm believing God for 50 plus kids. Actually, I think that's what we had last year. So let's go to 60. Believing God for 60 kids out there. uh, 60 plus kids. And, um, you know, to have uh, all of them out there having fun, that's good. But, you know, we're not just going to leave it there. We're going to teach them about Jesus and what happened on Easter Sunday, that Jesus Christ rose from the grave. But, you know, I want to talk to you today about where Jesus is now. I I know I'm kind of getting a little bit ahead of myself because it's pre-Easter, but I think in order for us to really understand and appreciate what we celebrate next week, it's also what we live in every day. Say amen. amen. It's what we live in every day. Every day, every day we live in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Every day we live in the fact that Jesus is not dead, he's alive. And because he's alive, we have all of the benefits, all of the hope, all of the love, everything that he provided, we have right now, available to us right now, today. We have that available to us. So uh, Proverbs 16.1 says this. You see it on the screens. Of course, this is the New King James. It says, length of days is in her right hand. No, that's not it. That's Proverbs 3.16. I'm in 16.1. Proverbs 16, chapter 16, verse 1. That's a good scripture, though. In her left hand, riches and honor. It's talking about, <laughs> talking about wisdom. Amen. But in Proverbs 16.1, it says this. In this translation that I have, it says, we humans make plans. But the Lord has the final word. This says the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. This is saying that God has the final word. The Lord, our Heavenly Father, has the final say. Everybody say when we say God has the final say. You'll hear that a lot today. You'll hear that a lot next week because God truly has the final say. But I want to cover something today that, again, when we get past Easter and we get into uh, uh, May, we get into June, we get into summer months. And uh, things don't always happen the way you want them to happen. Or things don't always look the way you want them to look. You can sometimes um, lose sight of what is so prevalent right now. Meaning the resurrection. So right now it's, it's clear. We talk about it. We've said it every Sunday. God has the final say. We've driven it home. And you're probably feeling a real, a real faith high. You're really pumped up. Man, that's right. Yeah, God's got the final say. This situation I was worried about back in January, it's going to work out. I, I, it's going to be okay. God's got my back. God's on my side. And you feel real good about it. And you're starting to talk like that and speak like that and think like that. And more importantly, believe in your heart like that. That, yeah, okay, I know that I got this medical report. But you know what? God has the final say. Why don't y'all say it with me one more time? Say, God has the final say. You know, you start thinking, okay, I know, I know that my job's looking this way and they're saying they're going to close it down or maybe I've already lost my job or whatever the situation is, but God has. That's what we're talking about. And we're driving it home right now. We're so, so I mean, it's, it's in you. I can even sense it now. Y'all are, I, I, I hear you, Pastor. But I want to 
because next week we'll, we'll celebrate Easter and we're going to really focus on souls next week and on, on, on salvation. So bring, you know, don't, don't think, well, then I'm not going to come. No, you need to come. You need to celebrate Easter. Amen. But um, there'll, be, there'll be a lot of people here and there'll be new people here. And so that'll be more of our focus next week. Today, I want to ask you this question, which also is the like subtitle. This will be the final say part three. Who's on the throne? Who's on the throne? You know, in Mark 16, we see Jesus right as, uh, right as he ascended. This is the last chapter, the last couple of verses of, of the book of Mark. Starting in chapter 16, verse 15. And he, Jesus, said to them, so there was a group gathered around Jesus, hanging on, knowing uh, that, that he's, he's been uh, resurrected. They, they, they're so excited that he's alive. And they're waiting on him to do what has been prophesied, which is take over the world. But now we know that's not going to happen until Jesus comes back the second time. But at the time, they didn't realize that. They didn't fully understand. And so all they knew is Jesus had died. Jesus had rose from the grave. And for several days, he had been uh, revealing himself to people, sometimes just a few in a room, sometimes hundreds of people he would reveal himself. And now they're on a mountainside, and uh, they call it the Mountain of Transfiguration. He's standing there, and he's talking to this group of people, and he says to them, he gives them instructions. I like when there's clear instructions. I like when there's clear direction. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs, everybody say these signs. These signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Next week, you're going to hear some testimonies as part of our service. And one of them is uh, from Miss Vicki Blizzard, who's a part of our church here in Columbia. Uh, her and her husband are both traveling nurses, and so they're not always here in person because of their work schedule, but they watch online faithfully and have been a really big part of us from the beginning. They used to come to our Chick-fil-A Bible studies before we even had a midweek service. They way back. Well, she called us uh, several months ago now, and I'll, I'll give you the, the piece of the testimony, and next week you can, you can celebrate again. But this has to do with laying hands on the sick. She said, uh, actually, uh, Brother Andre, her husband, called me and said, hey, uh, uh, this is happening, and this is what they're saying, and, and my wife's in so much pain. Pastor, she's in so much pain. Well, I, I didn't realize all the details of it, but she was in severe pain. You guys can take that verse down for just a second while I tell the story. She was in severe pain. I mean, like, like she, she uses the words that she realized why people wanted to take their own life from, from, from uh, um, chronic pain. That's serious. Now, I'm a faith guy, but when I heard how bad it was, I started thinking, Lord, you're going to have to work a miracle because, I, I mean, even for me, I'm thinking this is some serious. She came expecting me to pray for her and lay hands on her I'm just a vessel. I'm just a man. I, I mean, I know, I, I know you've called me to pastor. I know I'm here to lead uh, uh, the, the, the sheep of this congregation. I know that, but I'm trusting in you. And so as I'm praying like that, after I got off the phone with them, the Lord put the book of James um, on my heart. 
And it says in the book of James, if you're sick, come to the elders, let them lay hands on you and anoint them with oil. Well, we don't do that in every service. We don't do that often, but it's in the Bible. So here Jesus says, lay hands on the sick. And everybody say, they shall recover. That's what it says. So that's where my faith is. Your word says to lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. That's what you said. Jesus, you said it. So I need you to work a miracle. So I went and got the anointing on and, 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 and our Wednesday night service kicks off as a Wednesday night. So, you know, we're, 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 we're praying, we're believing. And uh, I felt like the presence was right. And so I pulled out my Bible and read the, the book of James, read those passages and said, Ms. Vicky, come here. I, I, I poured the anointing oil in my hand. And when I touched her head, I, I, I tell you, to this day, I haven't felt the power of God like that. Now, why would that happen? Because it's not me, like I said, it's not, you know, a, a special bottle of oil. Sometimes people make the natural things fanatical. They try to make natural things supernatural. But God is supernatural with or out, without the natural things. But he needs natural things. This is the system God's designed. He's designed men and women to serve him, to praise him, to work within his systems. And when you do, he's able to bless you. The reason is, is he cannot lie. And so when you flow in his system, he works. It's literally automatic because his word is true. He is truth. Jesus is not, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He is truth. It's not that he wants you to tell the truth or whatever. If you serve God, you serve the truth. Jesus Christ is the truth. So we're standing on those promises and The reason that worked is because we were in the flow. We had done what the Bible said. We had believed the way the Bible says. It says, don't doubt. I'm telling you, there was no doubt in me, and I know there was no doubt in her, because from that moment forward, she had no pain. The pain totally left her body. Praise God. God did that. Why did God do that? Because God has the final say. And so he put things in his word like this preemptively. Think about this. Jesus is about to go into heaven. He's about to ascend to the throne. He's about to leave. And he he actually says in another place, it's better that I go because if I go, the helper will come. The Holy Spirit will come. And, you know, I can imagine being there. Everybody's longing for him to stay. I mean, for three years, he walked the earth, cast out demons, rose people from the dead, fixed the brokenhearted, healed the sick, opened blind eyes, lame people began walking. And then here we are and he's saying, I got to go. I got to go. I got to peace out. I'll be back. And when I come back, I'm coming back to take the whole thing. And so these instructions were his last, you could say, final say instructions that he gave us. Not just the group standing there, but he gave to his church. So, go into all the world. Preach the gospel. He says, these signs will follow those who believe. They'll cast out demons. They'll speak with new tongues. They won't um, get hurt when things attack them. They'll lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Then in verse 19, notice this. So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them 
and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. And that's the end of Mark, the book of Mark. What, what, what happened there at the end? Well, Jesus confirmed that even though I've left, if you follow, everybody say stay in the flow. If you stay in the flow, signs will follow. You know, it doesn't say signs will follow pastors. I'm coming down for everybody, for the media team. It doesn't say signs will follow pastors. It doesn't say signs will follow, um, uh, you know, uh, evangelists. Or signs will follow pastors. Signs will follow apostles. Signs will follow those who have been saved for 15 plus years. It says signs will follow those who, everybody say believe. Those who believe, when you believe the word of God, when you stand on his promises, you can rest assured there should be signs following and you can expect them. Now, I'm going to wrap this up today by talking a little bit about faith. But first of all, I want to answer some questions. Uh, Jesus is not here anymore. He's on the throne. And because he's on the throne, the Bible gives us clear instructions about what he's doing on the throne. He's interceding for us. When you pray, we covered this earlier in the year, we pray to the Father in Jesus' name. That's how we should pray. That's how we are instructed to pray. To the Father in Jesus' name. Why do we seal it in Jesus' name? Because Jesus is the one that intercepts that prayer and delivers it to, the, to, to God. And he's the one that's in between. Does that make sense? So he's at the right hand of the Father. And that was significant because in kingdom days, when there was a king who ran a, a kingdom, he ruled a kingdom, he didn't do anything. He did no physical work. He sat there, he ate, he went to the bathroom, he slept, and that was pretty much it. Other than barking orders. And there were people who sat on the, uh, uh, either side of the throne with him, and the one on the right side was the most powerful other than him. And he would say, go do this. And that man, the right-hand man, now that's the more common vernacular that we would use. Everybody heard that phrase? That's so-and-so's right-hand man. Well, the right-hand man would go out and do the work. Make sure the job gets done. And if he didn't, he lost his head. Because the king would show from, hey, uh, I mean business. If he ain't going to do it, then I'll take care of y'all too. And he was serious about this. So, when God used this phraseology that Jesus is at the right hand of God, Jesus means business. Jesus has the final say. When we say God has the final say, he has it through Jesus. Look at this in Acts 2.33. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from, uh, from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. So Peter is confirming, he's, he's uh, proclaiming this, he's preaching on the streets right after the, uh, on the day of Pentecost, right after the Holy Spirit filled the, the uh, upper room, and he's saying, this what you see and hear is the pouring out of the Holy Spirit by Jesus. Everybody noticed that. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. So God sent us Jesus, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. That's, that's important for you to understand because, again, Jesus is the one who's interceding for us. He's on the right hand of the Father. When we talk in just a minute about faith and about believing by faith and walking by faith and exercising your faith, you have to understand these things that when I believe and trust God for something, this is why I can. Because God set up a perfect system for me to not only have salvation, 
but to also have a successful life here. You know, God didn't leave you. If, if all God wanted to provide was salvation, then why would he have sent the Holy Spirit? I'm glad three people were excited about that. Let me ask it again. If God did not want us, if he did not care about your life here, then why? He just would have sent Jesus. I mean, everything was done then. He died on the cross. He took on all of our sins, sickness. He took in everything, all everything. He took it all. What should have taken days to die took hours because of the weight that was on him. The, the, The lashes on his back. By his stripes, we were healed. He took it all on the cross. Breathed his last. Buried in a grave. The Bible says he went and took the keys to death and hell. Then he conquered the grave. We use that phrase, it was a borrowed tomb. Just like you'd go to your, uh, maybe a friend's house or an Airbnb or whatever. What do you do? You, Airbnb, you just borrow it for a few days. It ain't your house. He borrowed the grave. And on the third day, he rose, which co- confirmed to everybody, I am who I said I was. I did what I said I would do. And the salvation that was provided on the cross has been ratified because I'm alive. Now, if God did not care about you today, about your life today, about the things you do today, about whether you succeed in your job or whether you marry the right person. If he didn't care, he would have stopped right there. For anybody who's ever bought the lie of Satan, God doesn't care about me. God doesn't doesn't even know what I'm going through. God doesn't value this. Obviously, God doesn't doesn't realize that, I mean, I'm going through it with my kids. Can he not see? Yes, he sees it. He sees everything you're going through. As a matter of fact, he saw it 2,000 years ago when he sent Jesus. And he said, hey, not only do I want you to do everything you're doing down there, but when you get done, I need you to give him some instructions and get your behind back up here so we can send the Holy Spirit out. So he can do, he can help. He can be in every believer and he can help every believer and he can give you the power. The Bible says the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in me. So this is not just a day where we, yes, it is a day. It is a significant day. Today's a significant day in Palm Sunday. It starts Holy Week. Friday's important. It's Good Friday. It's the day Jesus died. And then Sunday is the day he rose again. Very important. But if we just celebrate that one day a year and then leave it there, you're going to miss out on the total significance of the fact that God would have the final say. He knew you're going to need the help. You're going to need somebody to speak to you and say, no, don't do that. You're going to need... Uh, uh, the Spirit in you, the Holy Spirit in you to say, yeah, yeah, that's it. And give you that green light. So what do we do? How do we access that? How do we recognize? Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. He's kind of praying a prayer over them, and he says, and, and he wants them to know these things. And he's saying, I also want you to know what is the exceeding greatness of his power. Toward us who believe. Everybody say it again. Say believe. According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. See, notice how Paul connects these together. When he raised him from the dead and what? And seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Then notice how Paul clarifies what Jesus is above. Far 
off. If I had, 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 had written the King James and New King James and I'd been the translator, I'd have, I would have, I'd have got stuck on the, the, the A button on that one. Oh, they'd had to edit it and edit it out because I see this as a significant, it could have just said above, but no, it's not just above. He's far above. Well, that's because heaven is high. No, it's because Paul wanted to clarify that for you to recognize and understand not just the fact that Jesus worked mighty works, not just the fact that he died on the cross, not just the fact that he rose from the grave, but also that after that he ascended to heaven and he's seated far above all principality, all power, all might, all dominion. Well, what does that mean, Pastor? Everything you face, every attack of the enemy, every evil thing, every dirty lion, something or another that attacks your life, Every yoke of bondage, every uh, 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 child that's taken too early, that's the devil. Every person that, that, that cheats on a spouse and it wrecks a marriage, every evil thing, God sits far above. Jesus sits far above. Well, then why do these things happen? Because we don't wreck, I'm saying we as a whole, as a whole, the Christian community has not been taught the significance of what Paul was trying to get the Ephesians to learn. That if you don't understand the value of that, you'll let that, those things run rampant in your life. You'll miss out on the fact that yes, yes, when you die, you're going to have salvation. But God cares about you right, right now. And not only, see, see, we think of God so finite. We think of God so, so literal, like, like there's just, we, we can only see kind of one dimension if that makes sense. But God could have the final say in, in infinite ways when he had the final say. I don't know if that makes sense. I, I don't know if I can try to put into words what's in my head, but I'm, I'm going to try to do it. When God had Jesus do what he did, it not only meant he had the final say in that moment. That the devil thought he had won, but he didn't. Yes, that's true. That, that the veil that they had put up was torn and the Holy Spirit came out. Yes, that's true. But that 2,000 years later, that same act could cause something in your life that looks like my job's going to have the final say, or the doctor's going to have the final say, or this other situation is going to have the final say. And 2,000 years ago, God had the final say in your life today. One, one act, one thing, one instance, infinite. And, and, then, and then to cap it all off, when we're done on this earth, whether you leave before the rapture, I'm just believing to live until the rapture comes. I just want to just go. I just want to go all, I don't want to go through death. I want to just go. Just come and just take me back, Jesus. But either way, whether you leave in the rapture or uh, you leave this earth, your, your, what we call your earth suit, you know what happens? You spend eternity in heaven. I win either way. I win either way. Either way, I'm good. Either way, I'm taken care of. Now look at this um, in, a, in a Ephesians 2. If he's on the throne, where are we? So where is Jesus? Everybody say on the throne. If he's on the throne, where are we? Ephesians chapter 2, right after that. Now we break it up into chapters. You know, when they canonize scripture, they broke it up into chapters. So they had chapter 1 and chapter 2. But this was all one letter. So it's not like Paul wrote the first part, kind of forgot what he was writing, and then wrote a second chapter later. It was all written together. 
So right after he describes to us where Jesus is, he describes to us this. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us. Everybody say, he loves me. Even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he raised us up together. Look at that now. He raised me up too. Not only did he raise Jesus up, but he raised me up too. He raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved. Everybody say through faith. Salvation was provided. You didn't have to do anything. God loved us so much, he provided it. He loved us so much, he, he knew you would need it today. Again, so he provided it thousands, years, thousands of years ago. That's grace. But how do you receive it? Through faith. Now notice, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. So this is saying you can't work for your salvation. You can't work for your salvation and do good stuff and be a good person and believe really good and act really good and say nice. Hey, I stopped cussing. Well, that's great, but that ain't got you. That's not going to have you saved. You're not going to. You have to believe in your heart that the salvation that was provided on the cross was for you and you walking in it. Now, notice verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which good, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Okay, well, why, if he says uh, works don't save you, why would he then in verse 10 say that you were made for good works, that you are God's workmanship? Have you ever seen a masterpiece? I went to the Louvre. Have anybody you ever heard of the Louvre in Paris? It's a masterful museum. I don't know if it's actually the biggest museum in the world, but it's massive. If it's not the biggest, it's got to be close. It is massive. And so I'm there with a bunch of students. We were studying abroad, and we're walking around the Louvre, and we're checking out all these art pieces. They're incredible. You know, not one piece in there is, like, sort of, like, thrown together. Like, they're all masterfully crafted. They're all uh, uh, um, what you could say the, the best workmanship of whoever that artist is. I mean, they took time, years of practice, years of working, years of honing in on their craft to... to um, develop this piece, whether it's a statue or, or a, a canvas or something, whatever it is. Funny story, as, I, as I'm going through there, we had me and two other friends, um, we kind of lost track of time. And I, this is before uh, I had a cell phone that took pictures, so I was taking pictures on like a digital camera. And so I had my camera, I'm taking pictures, and they wanted us to document the trip, so you had to take pictures. Um, and that was kind of part of your grade was this was a school trip, so you couldn't just go and walk through the museum. You had to take pictures. So we lost track of time. And uh, I forget what time it was. We had to be, meet back with our professor, but they let us roam around on our own. I mean, we're college kids. I guess, you know, they trusted us. Well, we, get, we realized what time it is, and we realized we had been going the wrong way, and we're on the complete opposite side of the Louvre than where we're supposed to be. And so we start running. I mean, really, we realized that we asked the guard. He's like, oh, no, you got to be over here. He shows us a map. We're like, oh, my goodness. So, so one guy takes off running. We, we literally ran. You know, they don't want you to run. You're in a museum, the nicest museum on planet Earth. I'm running through the museum with me and my buddies, and I, I'm, snapping, I'm snapping pictures as I run. 
because you got to take pictures. And now I'm like, you know, I, I got to have pictures. I didn't really take good pictures. I got to take them. Well, I get back to, to wherever we were staying that night, and I import the pictures, you know, because you can't look at them right away on your phone. So I import them. They're all blurry. They're all blurry because I ran through the thing. They're all blurry. So I have an album on my, on my uh, library called Louvre on the Move because all my pictures were blurry. But often when I think about this verse, God's workmanship, I think about all those pieces of art that I saw on that trip. The workmanship. God crafted you. You're special. You're special in his eyes. He values you. The things you do, the personality you have, oh, well, that came from such and such, or my dad was this way, or those, all those things may be true, but you know God's bigger than that. And he'll have the final say. If you're like, well, my personality gets on everybody else's nerves. You know, he can actually turn your personality where other people will like it. God can do that. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, people say I'm ugly and I'm not, you know, pretty or whatever. Or I'm not handsome. People say, you know, God will actually cause people to see something in you that others don't. And the same people that ran you down, saw, think, thought that you don't look good, you're not good enough. God can cause people to see you the way he sees you. Trust in him. See yourself the way he sees you. Look back at at verse 6. And he raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. God's word says that spiritually we are seated with him. If that's true, then why why don't we talk like it? I mean, if that's true, why don't we act like it? Have you ever seen uh, somebody take a selfie? Like when you're like, maybe like you go into a public bathroom or whatever, and somebody's in there and they decide to take a selfie while you're in there. Has anybody ever seen it? Or maybe you have a friend or a relative, or a te- if you have a teenage daughter, you've seen them take a selfie. All right, or they take the ones in front of the mirror. You know, when they they are purposeful to make sure they look the best they can. They even put the little, I see some heads nodding here, you know. They even put the, the filters on, because nowadays you can have filters on your pictures where you, when you take them so that, you know, it'll extend your eyelashes if you want that sort of thing. It'll soften your skin, again, if you want that certain thing. People make sure when they take a selfie and they're going to post it or they're going to text it to somebody that it look right. They're going to make sure it looks the best. They hold their shoulders back. They hold their head up. They put their lips right. They, put, they make sure their hair's right. Anybody else ever seen it? You know what I'm talking about? Okay, why don't we carry ourselves like that all the time? Why don't, if you are God's workmanship and you're seated in heavenly places where he placed you, God, Jesus is the head of the church, we are his body. Where your head goes, your body goes. You didn't leave your your wrist at home or your your big toe at home today. All of your body came with you because your head said, I'm going to church. The head of this church, our church, the global Christian church is Jesus Christ. And he's seated in heavenly places far above every piece of evil on this earth. And guess what? We're seated with him. We're seated with him. Act like it. Talk like it, breathe like it, speak like it, think like it, talk like it. Well, how do I do that, Pastor? All right, here, I'm going to wrap this up and kind of summarize everything so we can move on. 
Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Hebrews 11.6 says it is impossible to please God without faith. That if you are going to please God, you have to believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. All right, that is faith. That's walking by faith every day. So how, pastor, how, this is real questions that people ask. How do I get there when I'm facing the challenge? By doing what you're doing right now. By hearing the word. By getting in the word. So you can come to church, but that's only twice a week, essentially. We do Sunday nights and Wednesdays. I wouldn't miss. I wouldn't miss. Because you get a lot, I mean, yes, you can watch it back. If you absolutely can't make it, sure, do that. But then what do you do Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday? And also on Sundays and Wednesdays. But you read the word. Everybody say, read the word. Read the word. Well, I don't have time. You have time to read five minutes of scripture. You have time. We're about to release our discipleship uh, um, course. We've been uh, filming and editing it and stuff. And, and, and I'll, I'll direct you to that if you have more questions, because I did a good job of, 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 of talking about how to study the Bible. But then, okay, what else can you do? Everybody say, speak it. Speak. You can speak the word. You know, if you think about it, if you confess God's word, you're also hearing it. So if you ever... Think about how sometimes I have you do that. Actually, I shouldn't say sometimes. Every service, I have you repeat the word of God. You know why I do that? Two reasons. Number one, it keeps you engaged. So there's a natural reason. It keeps you engaged. It keeps you involved in the service. It keeps you, you know, if you're nodding off, and if I'm getting, if I got a little boring in the last story, I can kind of pull you back in. True story. That's, that's one reason. But you know the real reason I do it? Because faith comes by hearing. And so when you, when you repeat the word of God and you confess scripture, you're actually confessing life into you. And if you think about it, I know that you could say, hey, before I did that, I wasn't, you know, like in the natural, I'm like, yeah, blah, 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 blah. You know, you just like say it, you know, out of like just, well, he asked me to say it, so I'm blah, 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 blah. But if you say it over and over and over again, something happens from the inside out. You actually begin to believe it because faith is of the heart. Faith is of the heart. So as you begin to confess God's word, It'll change how you feel, not because you're changing anything on the outside, but because you're changing on the inside. You're changing on the inside. And so what I'm preaching today about God's on the throne, I want to I propose a thought to you. Everybody say, I live by faith. When you start letting these things out of your mouth, I'll never get promoted. I'll never make it. I'll never see healing. I'll never get better. When you start confessing, well, I guess divorce is just, by the way, if you're married, don't ever say the D word. If you've said it before, ask God to forgive you and don't say it again. Don't even let it be an option. But let's say that's what you've done. Well, I guess, I guess we'll just get divorced then. I guess we'll just never make it. I mean, I mean, it's been three years and he, he still has got blah, 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 or, or she still thinks this, that, and the other, and she still won't trust me, and he this, that, and the other, and you're just con constantly letting those things come out of your mouth. Here's what you're doing. You're putting those situations on the throne. And in place of Jesus, where he's on the throne and where you are seated with him, you've removed yourself from that. 
Because your faith isn't there. Out of your mouth is coming the situation. Well, obviously that's going to happen. You're literally saying God's not big enough. He's not far above enough. He's not high enough. He's not strong enough to fix my marriage or heal my body or fix my kids or help me improve this or improve my career or deliver me from this or help me in whatever situation. Save my He is not big enough to do that, so I'm going to just confess this other thing. And you're putting those things on the throne. We use the term a lot of times in worship. We'll say, I magnify. It's a wonderful kind of old school song. I magnify you. And it just, that was like not even the right key or tone or whatever, but in my head it sounded, (laughs) in my head I can hear it. I'm not musical at all. I just need to have like a person on cue, like, like with a mic ready. And whenever I say, hey, what's that song? They can just flip it on and sing it. We'll get there one day. I'll believe God for it. <laughs> You're putting these things on the throne. You're putting your life on the throne instead of realizing, no, I'm actually, and I don't mean this in a cocky way, but I want you to hear what I'm saying. I'm actually above my life. Spiritually, I'm above my life. God will have the final say. It would be very easy for me. I'm going to use myself as an example. We've been believing God for a building since we moved in here. Now, it would be very easy for me at this point, several years in, to start confessing, well, this and that, start talking about the real estate, start talking about COVID, blaming on this, blaming on that. And now, I'm going to be transparent. Some of that has come out of my mouth. But, but here's what, what I realized and what I want you to get today about faith. When, when those things would come out of my mouth, because I not only preach the word, I also am a Christian. So I also have to hear the word. I also have to build my faith. I also have to read. I also have to study. I also have to spend time with God. I also have to listen to the Holy Spirit. So I, I, I didn't document, so I hope that I'm not lying when I say this, but I am pretty confident that every time one of those statements came out, well, you know, the real estate around here is just so astronomical. I mean, it, who knows how long it'll take before stuff like that. Well, you know, these buildings always get snatched up by somebody else. This is, these are negative statements. that I, Every time in my spirit would be a check. When I say check, I mean like a reservation, like, a, no, that's not right, like a yucky feeling. Like, it's in the spirit, so this is just a natural analogy, but, like, have you ever gotten wet with your socks on? clothes on like it just feels terrible you know like uh who was it lj yesterday at the car wash you said your socks were wet right it feels weird you don't take a shower with your socks on it's it's not right it's strange it feels yucky like that a check in my spirit now why remember faith is of the heart it's on the inside because I have the word in me, when I would say something contrary to that, I'd get a, that's not right. That's not right. Now, here's the reason I'm bringing that up. Because if you don't listen to that, eventually you'll confess the other thing to the point that you believe that more than you believe what's in your, here, in your heart, in here. Does everybody see that? Do you understand, Do you understand how that works? So, so you, you, you have to, to it, and now if you've already done that, correct it. Repent today. Father, I'm sorry that that I put those things on the throne above you. I'm sorry that I magnified them instead of magnifying you. 
I'm sorry that I, I'm thinking about a magnifying glass. It makes those things bigger. I, I should be making God bigger than my situation, but I'm magnifying the problem. God, I'm sorry I did that. I, I'm going to make an effort to never do that again. I'm going to make an effort to, to, to confess your word, to speak your word, and never do that again. As I wrote this down. This is a really good statement. As long as you're confessing it, you actually believe it. The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. As long as you're confessing it, you actually believe it. Now, again, if you let something come out once or twice, and then you correct yourself, I, I do think that God has a grace, especially if you repent and say, Lord, I didn't mean that. Lord, I just, I'm just repeating what I heard, or I'm just repeating, or I'm just frustrated or whatever. But if you keep confessing it, you're going to believe it, and here's the worst part, you're going to live it. The divorce will actually happen. You'll, you'll, you'll look back and say, well, that, you got what you spoke. You got what you wanted. Well, no, that's not what I wanted. Well, that's what you said. That's what you believed. That's what you magnified. You literally are saying, no, God doesn't have the final say. This is what's going to happen. I mean, my mom, she died at 50. Her, her, her mom, my grandma, she died at 52. I'll, never, I'll, I'll probably never live by 50, past 55. Go ahead, keep saying it. Keep saying it. You'll believe it. And then as you start getting to 52, 53, every time you have an ache and pain, you've confessed for years you're going to die at 55. So you start, See, there it is. My body's falling apart. 54, you start, for time you get sick, well, I might as well go to the hospital, go ahead and get ready. You might not actually consciously be thinking those things, but you've conditioned your mind for years to think, well, I'm going to die at 55. And you've conditioned your future. As long as you're confessing it, you actually believe it. So what are we going to do? All right, you ready? I want you to stand up. We're going to do this on our feet because I want you to have a full diaphragm. We're going to confess some alternate things today as we wrap up our service. Amen? We're going, to, we're going to confess what we actually believe. Everybody say this to start off. Say, I believe the word. I believe the word. Say, God's word is true. God's word is true. Say, he's not a man. He's not a man, he, he's not a man that he should lie. He's not a man that he so if he can't lie, he's, can't he's, lie. The, truth. he's the truth. And he said in his word, he said in his word I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. I am over and not under. I'm the redeemed of the Lord. So I need to say so. I'm saying I'm redeemed. The curse of the law does not apply to me. I am blessed. I am blessed from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. If anybody gets a promotion... It'll be me. If anybody's going to get that job, it'll be me because I'm blessed. God's blessed me. He sees me. He's for me. He'll make a way where there is no way. My marriage will be awesome. It's getting better every day. Every day. Every day. God's in the middle of my life. My children are going to serve the Lord. They will love God because I love God and I'm setting an example for them. God is for me and not against me. He's for my home. He's for my house. My car is going to go further than other
cars. My tires are going to go further than other tires. My gas mileage is going to be better than other gas mileage. My job will be better than other jobs. My position will go up and not down. And if the world changes around me, God will make a way where there seems to be no way. He'll part the sea and maybe walk through on dry ground. Come on, y'all. Y'all are losing it. Stay with me. God will have me walk through on dry ground. He's a dry ground God. He's not a sinking God. He's not a drowning God. He'll keep my head not just above water. But he'll have me walking on top of the water. I know those are long statements. But I'm trying to get it all out. How many of you feel like you can take on the world right now? Huh? Confess God's word. Let it rise up in you. Let it build in you. Don't leave here today. Now, again, if you've said stuff like that, I don't mean this in the best way, but you've said dumb stuff like that, then, then repent. Say, Lord, I'm, not, I'm sorry I'm not going to talk like that anymore. I'm not going to condemn my marriage. If there's still a 1% hope, then the marriage works out, then there's hope, baby. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. So by faith, now there's someone here, I know you already lost your marriage. You, I said at the beginning, you can't control the other person. If they're determined to relieve you, then here's what you believe. God, you have something better. You know, the only time I've ever had God tell me no, and, and by, by no, I believe this, God's promises are yes and amen. So I don't believe that God actually says no. I know that may be controversial and I don't have time to unpack that, but just trust me. I don't believe God says no. I believe he says not right now. I've got something better. No, not that building, JT. I've got a better one. I've got a better one. I've got one I'm working on. I've got one. If you'll just stay in position and you'll just keep serving God, I got, I'll work on it. No, if you're single here today, no, not that person. I've got one better. I've got one better. I've got one. No, not that job. I've got one better. I've got one, I've got one better. Stay in the flow. Let the Holy Spirit lead you and guide you, and he'll deliver you right to your promised land. Amen? Brother Lewis is going to come and give you a few announcements before you're seated.